Sustainability Unwrapped, a conversational podcast about responsibility, ethics, inequalities, climate change, and other challenges of our times, where science needs practice to think about our world and how to make our society more sustainable one podcast at a time. We welcome our listeners to a new season of the podcast Sustainability Unwrapped. By the microphone, Anna. I work as a researcher at Hankin School of Economics. Our key theme for this podcast season is responsible organizing and how it can support building a more sustainable future. In each episode, we invite experts to discuss topics such as social media bias, intersectional inequalities, cross-collaboration for responsibility, and of course, much, much more than that. Today's episode will dive into the topic of corporate social responsibility, or simply saying CSR, and we will explore how we can make CSR concept useful and learn examples of how actors make it so. Today, our guests are Martin Fogere and uh, Nicodemus Solitander. Welcome, Martin and Nico, to our Helsinki studio. Thank you, Anna. Great to be here. Thank you. <laughs> it's fantastic to have you here to discuss the topic of CSR, because I believe you are truly expert in this area. And uh, this topic is also interested me personally and professionally. It's close to my heart because I studied CSR at Hanken as a student. And now I continue my PhD in this area and do some consulting within CSR. So could you tell us a bit more about yourself and your relationship to the topic of CSR? Sure. So, um, yeah, so my name is Nico, Nicodemus, uh, and I've been working at Hanken now for, yeah, actually over 20 years probably by, by now. And yeah, the topic of responsible organizing is, is also fitting perhaps to what I'm, I'm doing. I spend my time quite a lot organizing research and, and organizing teaching and organizing administration around teaching and, and research here at Hanken. So it fits uh, very, very well also to my personal identity or professional identity as such. Now in terms of my relationship to, to CSR, it, it goes back almost as long as I've been working here, even longer. It was when I took my own master's and, and undergraduate studies, I was already then quite interested in, in questions around responsibilities and, and sustainability, which was very much in sort of nascent in, in the time of, of the mid-1990s when I was doing my, my studies. But yeah, over the years, perhaps the, the relationship to CSR has, has not been simplified. This has been more complicated, you might say, but especially perhaps through the kind of research that, that I'm, I'm involved in. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a kind of a, not a love-hate relationship, but, but it is complicated in the sense that I find it in, an interesting concept. It, it's very much a kind of a sign of, of, of the time, a kind of a how late-stage capitalism, in a sense, uh, answers to, to, to the kind of critiques that, or the kind of social critique that, that capitalism has, has faced. And it can be said as a critique, I'm, I'm sympathetic to the, to the critique. Uh, and I also see that CSR perhaps as a response has seldom been satisfactory in kind of producing or, or even responding in, in earnest to these kinds of, of, of critiques. 
and that CSR, you know, it produces all kinds of impact and some of them is intended, some is unintended, some is good and some is, is, is terrible in, in a sense. So, yeah, so that also means that it's a great thing to, to do research on, that it's, it's that it has many facets to it and, and thus it's, it's something that still interests me, me very, very much after even being involved in it for, for, for 20 years yeah. as such. Yes, and my name is Martin, uh, or Martin, as originally it would, it would sound. Uh, and I've also been at Hanken for over 20 years. Actually, I was even a, a teacher already when Nico was undergraduate, so he was my student. <laughs> uh, it's a traumatic memory for me. Um, so uh, I've been interested actually in CSR for a bit more than maybe 15 years or close to 20 years. And actually, my meeting Nico was quite uh, instrumental in, in, in me getting interested in that. Nico was working in these questions, environmental management and so on. And uh, we decided to work together on some uh, critical analysis of, of sustainable development discourse and these types of things. So that's how I got started with, with CSR. And I must say that initially I had a very critical relationship with CSR. Um, I was mainly interested in, in what is problematic in the discourse of CSR. And uh, since then, my relationship has evolved quite a lot. And I would say that while the, the criticality hasn't gone away, uh, I would also say that I have complemented it uh, with uh, much more pragmatic uh, engagement with CSR as well. So I, I still write some critical pieces on CSR, but I also work on more pragmatic understandings of it. And I'm, I'm driven in everything I do in relation to CSR by uh, you know, just a, a curiosity, empirically speaking, at, as to what is done in the name of CSR and uh, what, if anything, is useful in CSR. Yeah, it would be interesting to hear both the critique and, of course, the more pragmatic view on the CSR. And uh, if I think from the perspective what it is nowadays, uh, CSR has become so common and uh, many companies, at least from maybe a bit of biased Nordic perspective, or I don't know, uh, do implement responsibility programs and they put efforts into publishing sustainability reports and so on. Uh, but I believe 20, 30 years ago, when you started to study, for example, CSR, uh, it was not exactly like that. Uh, in your view, how has the concept of uh, corporate social responsibility evolved? Well, I guess, you know, it, it, it all starts with, with questions around inequality that that is the direct consequence of, of of the market system or or even capitalism at large so in that sense the the kind of questions that that the csr tries to engage with is de facto as as old as as capitalism and, and in many respects the the kind of question that that corporations are now being forced to respond to are also question that they have needed to or someone at least in society those those in power in general have needed somehow to to engage with in, in questions for example how to, to deal with with inequalities and and so forth but of course what is particular about CSR is that it's 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 very clearly the, the corporate re response. So if we, in in the time of 1970, uh, 19, 1910s or something mm -hmm. like that, had a discussion about you know 
what is the responsibility of the state to, to dealing with inequalities and so forth. You still had corporations visible there, but perhaps there then the, the discussion was, was more geared towards what is the, the responsibility of, of the state and how are, are they, they sort of dealing or, or not dealing with it. Whereas CSR is more the kind of the systemic response from from the corporations, you know, in also making sense of the same inequalities that <laughs> were were present two hundred years ago and, and, and so forth. So yeah, CSR for me is, is is very simple. It's 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 a kind of a systemic corporate response to the challenges posed by notions such as inequality and then, then sustainable uh, development and also in a sense yeah it forms in a sense a link the corporate link towards these larger larger concepts such as sustainable development or, or inequality and, and so forth and its history is, is of course rooted in, in this systemic approach mm -hmm. to, clearly towards the 1980s and 1990s where you know it wasn't anymore just a discussion around what is the responsibility of individual managers or individual CEOs, but became this, you know, what are the corporations doing as, as kind of corporate response uh, to, to these, these very foundational uh, uh, questions. And yeah, also this notion of globalization, I mean, becoming much more part of, of the media discourse, the internationalization of the corporation. Uh, especially in the 1980s and 1990s and already then seeing the effects, I mean, the negative effects of, exactly. of that uh, globalization, I think, was manifested very clearly in the 1980s and 1990s. Yeah, so, so I certainly agree uh, with Nico that it's, it's about the corporate response uh, to certain challenges. And I, I would add here uh, that both waves of CSR historically um, when CSR become, became more prevalent uh, in business discourse and practice. So there were like two waves historically, one uh, starting maybe 1940s, 1950s, the other one, as Nico said, around 80s, 90s. They were in, a, in the first place a reaction against, uh, you know, heightened regulatory pressure, mounting regulatory pressure uh, on corporations. And so in the, in the 40s, 50s, it was very much against the, the reclaimed power of the state over corporations. Uh, there had been the Great Recession, of course, in the US and, and the New Deal after that. And, and so the state had uh, kind of reclaimed a lot of, it, of, its, of its responsibilities and a lot of its authority over, over corporations in terms of you know, taxes and all, all kinds of regulations. Uh, so at that point, there was really a need for, for business to convince society that corporations can self-regulate for the better good of society. And that's what they, they did through a big PR campaign and, and also a lot of, of, of well, quasi-scientific writing uh, published in the Harvard Business Review uh, throughout the 50s. Uh, so, so it's quite interesting to, to go back there and, and see the kinds of discussions they had at the time because... The discussions they had again in the 1990s were very similar to those in the 1950s uh, about CSR being the, the right way to go to address, you know, the challenges of inequalities or of, of environmental impacts and things like that. So in the in the 1990s, as Nico said, uh, there was, uh, well, mounting regulatory pressure in relation to the Sustainable Development Agenda. So. 
uh, you know, uh, it was defined in 1987, the Brundtland Report, and then in the early 90s, you had the uh, UN-organized uh, Rio Conference, the Earth Summit. And at that point, business really organized systematically to have a corporate response to sustainable development. And that corporate response was called CSR again. So um, so basically, that, that mounting pressure uh, was also accompanied by, you know, growing watchdog pressure on large corporations. And, uh, of course, at that time, the issues you were talking about were, you know, production in sweatshops due to, to, to globalization, as Nico was saying, questions of human rights impacts, as well as, of course, environmental impacts. I mean, the uh, Earth Summit was, of course, largely about the environment, and so sustainable development was, was also very strongly an environmental issue. So CSR should not be understood as, you know, only a social emphasis, obviously, it's also about environmental impacts of, of business. Something that really made me interested is that you mentioned that uh, in 1950s, uh, they were discussing similar topics that they get back to in Harvard Business Review, was it so, right? So, yes. uh, like, I believe a lot has been done since that time we when we introduced the CSR concept. And uh, these days, we come across still the critique, uh, actually in the form of popular media news. So thanks to the rising media, uh, we get exposed to this uh, agenda more often and in a more broader scale. But they are highlighting things such as greenwashing, corruption, human rights violations and inequality. So it seems like those things still very widely exist. And um, it might be difficult to know if all the talks surrounding CSR and sustainability has actually led to any improvements in the end. Um, well, my question could be, has CSR got us to any better place within these years? And what do studies and different actors tell us about the impact it has actually made? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a complicated question. Right? <laughs> I believe so. so. Yeah, in, in many, many respects, because, of course, we can start by asking a very simple question that, that yes, there has probably been improvements, but if we want to understand improvements for whom, uh, and, and so forth, then it immediately starts to get uh, more complicated. So I could say something that, yeah, certainly, you know, for for consumers, it, it has got better in a sense from, from the perspective of what CSR has a achieved because it has brought more perhaps uh, certain transparency into to, to how corporations function and how we can expect to get information what happens in 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 this in the supply chain but then if we think about you know what has the the real impact of, of csr being on on the ground in, in terms of you know truly aggress addressing these these grand challenges if they are about you know global warming or they are about uh, you know rising inequalities and and so forth so yeah you know, absolute poverty is going down, relative poverty is, is going up and, and so forth. So, but, but the problem is that, you know, CSR is supposed to be the answer, the corporate answer to these, you know, to these foundational challenges that are facing humanity, global warming being a case of point. But you can say, yeah, there has been certain incremental change, changes for, for the better. But at the same time, all of us know that, you know, deep inside, all of us know that that is not going to be sufficient, that incremental changes cannot be the goal, that the, the, the goal needs to be a kind of a more foundational transformation of, 
of society. And I think it's here that, you know, yes, both me and, and Martin can, can pragmatically be supportive and, and even celebrate, in a sense, certain ach achievement. But, but it's hard, in a sense, to really celebrate it because, you know, you have these questions that can it have an impact on these more foundational questions or is it so that that these foundational problems are foundational to to the to the system itself the market system or capitalism itself that it can never fully break from you know producing these you know threats that that that, that we are facing as 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 humanity and yeah in, in a positive way where you can say yeah the jury is still out but, <laughs> but yeah i i see little perhaps potential for for or, you know, true, truly transformative action through, through CSR. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, we have to remember that CSR was historically a corporate-driven movement, uh, so it was disproportionately serving the interests of, of business, and particularly, of course, large corporations and, and their needs to reclaim, uh, you know, legitimacy in the face of radical critique at various stages, as I, as I said earlier. Uh, so you could say that until about, 2010, uh, you know, CSR was mainly useful for business uh, and, and was mainly serving the interests of business. Now, what happened around 2010 is that a sort of coalition formed of watchdog organizations, NGOs, and, and, and some regulators, standard setters, these types of, of, of actors, they managed to get their voices heard in two key new definitions of CSR around that time. So the ISO 26000, which was in, in 2010, and then the new EU uh, Commission redefinition, which was in 2011. And so these two new definitions, of course, they didn't change the world by themselves. Uh, they accompanied the movement, but they certainly helped in, in changing the expectations in what can be accepted as good CSR. You cannot anymore say that, you know, like uh, going beyond legal requirements uh, by, by doing something, by building a school somewhere, uh, is enough uh, CSR for, for for you as a company, which you could you could absolutely do earlier, and and you would get good press for it. You know, this type of philanthropy, uh, this type of of really minor uh, steps beyond legal requirements, would be enough to to, to characterize your company as as engaging in, in CSR in a, in a good way, as a good citizen in a way. And of course, uh, from from the point when the EU and, and ISO 26000 defined CSR as basically the responsibility of organizations for their impacts on society, and particularly all the all the negative impacts they might have in their through their operations and activities, well, then of course the understanding of CSR uh, changed very significantly, and what could be accepted as good CSR was, was different. So from around that time, I would say CSR started to become something that could be useful uh, for non-business actors uh, concerned with the development of higher you know, social and environmental standards. Uh, but I think it, we need to remember anyway that even when CSR is useful, it's usually in a very incremental, non-transformative way. As Nico said, uh, transformation is certainly what is needed, and CSR is not something that can bring that, in my opinion. Uh, if anything, it actively works to slow down transformation because it, it's there to re-legitimize these old forms. I mean, these publicly listed corporations with their incentive structures that that basically 
prevent them from from radically changing anything. They 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 are interested in in, in the status quo fundamentally. So CSR is something that might be too status quo oriented. Uh, so it can bring improvements, incremental improvements, but not transformation. Uh, so we need something else than CSR for transformation. We need radical institutional changes. And particularly, the question of the governance of businesses is important there, you know, going back to this uh, incentive structures question. Yeah, I, I, I can add here that, that you know, if, if someone asks me, is, is CSR effective? Then I say, yes, CSR is effective as the corporate response to this, these questions around, you know, is how legitimate an actor is the corporation in relation to these social challenges. So it has been very effective in, you know, legitimizing and re-legitimizing that, you know, business is a driving force for sustainability. But that is a completely different question to, to you know, how desirable out outcomes come from, from that kind of legitimization and re-legitimization. And more importantly, how, you know, how big, big changes, how big transformations can something like CSR bring to us? Okay, so knowing this, what you just explained about the CSR and the challenges about uh, related to that concept, should we as a maybe even practitioners of uh, CSR and CSR reporting, for example, still believe in CSR being useful? And maybe if we open that, that up uh, to like larger scale, maybe acceptive practitioners to whom it can be useful and why? All right, Nico is putting me on the spot here. Uh, okay, well, I think that, you know, two things here. I mean, the question of believing, I, I'm not sure that, that believing is, is, is how we should relate to CSR. We should not believe uh, uh, by default. We should, uh, we should see it for ourselves. And, and perhaps we should make sure that, that it is useful and, and through our own actions. So that is, that is perhaps my first comment here. But then uh, another comment is that, yes, well, CSR can be useful. Uh, and, and one reason why it can be useful is that it's defined in such an open way uh, that uh, it can be um, an entry point for, for all kinds of, of, of new, um, new issues put on the agenda of, of the self-regulation and the co-regulation of, of business activities. And thus, regulatory uh, developments are possible and actually happening, especially today. We're seeing a lot of, of new regulations from the EU, uh, from standard setters uh, on, on the transnational level. Uh, so some of these regulations are really hard regulations. Others are, are more like soft law initiatives. But many of these are, are fairly effective. Some are not, of course. So we, we should remain very alert to how good these various types of regulations are. But so if we see CSR as the management by companies of their interface with stakeholders and society, you know, as you know, if we see CSR as a practice as, as that, uh, that companies have something, uh, some managerial activity that is about an interface with stakeholders and society, then we also see that um, the um, the, the, the non-business stakeholders have uh, possibilities for an entry point uh, to engage with, with business through CSR. And that's what they are doing. So many watchdog organizations, uh, they define their, their expertise as one that is about corporate responsibility and corporate accountability. And that gives them a possibility to engage businesses and, and to 
to try and tell them to be better at their corporate responsibility practices. And this leads to the incremental improvements we were, we were talking about. But the, this also leads increasingly, and that's, that's something that we can be a bit more optimistic about, perhaps, uh, <laughs> you know, unlike the, the perhaps uh, pessimistic tone earlier or skeptical <laughs> tone earlier, you know, this also leads to regulatory developments. We, we have a, an interesting example, which we have studied with, with Nico and, and two other colleagues uh, about this Ukosketun um, uh, campaign in Finland, where there was this uh, NGO-led or NGO-driven coalition, but, but which involved also a number of, of large Finnish businesses, which lobbied for the inclusion of a law on human rights due diligence uh, to be uh, to be put in place by the Finnish government. Since then, of course, there's been there's been twists and turns after that. But anyway, that was an interesting process, and and it shows that increasingly CSR can lead to uh, to real regulatory initiatives. And mm-hmm. I think that's that's one one way in which it is uh, it it will be I think increasingly useful. Now, it won't ever be transformative. <laughs> I, 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 I sort of keep to, to that notion. Yeah. I think, you know, at the same time as, as I'm, I'm, I'm skeptical of, of, of its transformative uh, possibilities, I mean, I, I, we discussed with Martin an, an example um, last week, actually, when, when it was written in, in the news that, that Patagonia has, has decided, in a sense, to, you know, we reconceptualize themselves as, as uh, you know, how how they function as a, as a as a firm or a corporation, and and in a sense, writing out now that they are not only more a, a sort of a B corp where where it's sort of legally possible for the corporations to to spend the, the profits on social proceeds, which you can also say that you know the rise of the B corporation. I would say that it, it might have been very hard in the 1970s for anyone to imagine in a sense that there can be that kind of change to how we understand a, a corporation uh, that was made possible perhaps through the kind of discussion and debates the CSR has, has brought forward. Now what is interesting about the Patagonia case is that it, in a sense it, it posits that yeah it, it might be possible to see you know the planet, for example, as the, the true shareholder of, of the corporation. It's it's an interesting sort of thought experiment that that in a, again, I think it has been made possible by the kind of debate that that is being ongoing around. You know, what is the the you know corporate social responsibility of, of the corporation and and what what could it be that it, it makes us question perhaps or gives the possibility for us to discuss some of these absolute fundamentals that we think we know about how a corporation should be or, or should not be. Now, I'm, I'm still skeptical. It might be, of course, that, that Patagonia is, is doing that because, yeah, it makes you know sense from a taxation standpoint to be seen more as an NGO rather than a corporation. So there might be something like that behind it. But, you know, it, it also is... is is an ongoing and a real discussion that that is being triggered by these kinds of of actions. You brought very interesting example. I think, uh, well, in my area of studies, I've seen examples uh, a little bit different when the the NGO is uh, adopting business-like practices and shifting more towards uh, uh, 
um, social enterprises mm. more in the sense. But uh, this Patagonia example is actually other way around from a corporate to and the NGO. So it makes it very outstanding in that sense. Yeah. Uh, well, to comment on the on the Patagonia example, I would say that it's a good illustration that while CSR itself, with its its incremental improvement logic, will not transform you know, will not transform the uh, society and, and, and governance of, of businesses. Uh, the CSR debate itself can lead to new imaginations. And uh, with companies like Patagonia, which of course is not publicly listed, is controlled or was controlled by its owner, uh, Ivan Schwina, and has been taken in a certain direction because of that. So, of course, there are all kinds of possibilities. And these, these imaginations, these radical imaginations are, are you know, potentially... Uh, they, they could lead to groundbreaking changes in the future. We don't know. Uh, this is a very interesting experiment. So, so let's 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 follow up on that. But of course, we cannot really predict the future. What we can say is that while we could imagine a utopian world in the future where where every company would be a social enterprise, well, the world we live in uh, actually uh, is very very different from that and has all kinds of past dependencies, all kinds of established entrenched interests that, you know, it is very difficult to imagine the pathway to, to that world, to that utopian world. So most of the large companies in today's world are publicly listed corporations, again, with very particular in incentive structures, which, of course, limit considerably their potential to prioritize social and environmental impacts on a par with maximization of, of shareholder value. Uh, so CSR is, is mainly something that was developed to make these large transnational corporations gradually more responsible. Um, so this is the kind of standard of, of responsibility we can expect from these types of, of forms of, of business uh, governance, so to speak. Uh, they have particular rules of their games and their possibilities for contributing to positive societal impact are considerably uh, more limited than for other types of, of business ventures. So again, private private companies like Patagonia, like Interface, for example, I mean, there are, there are lots of good examples of, of private companies that have put values in the center of their, of their activities and, and transformed completely their, their operations. Um, and of course, social entrepreneurs are doing that when, when they start as a new venture, as social entrepreneurs, of course, the possibilities for doing something positive are, are much more, uh, much, you know, much more extreme than, than those of, of, of very well established, very old uh, publicly listed corporations that are in, in very old industries as well, and that have an interest in, in remaining alive, like, you know, the oil and gas massive corporations, which we are finding today or recently are, have been misleading us, uh, all the time, pretty much uh, over the past uh, decades, about their their commitments to you know uh, uh, climate change action. Uh, so yeah, uh, we can uh, we can sort of celebrate the, the developments uh, with with examples like Patagonia, and that is that is something. But of course, what we would need is is um, that business governance. Uh, you know, uh, the mainstream of business govern governance would, would change. Yeah, so, you know, when 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 Yvonne Chouinard says something like, you know, that they take on this, this new form of, of the corporation, that that is somehow a demonstration that, you know, 
for-profit business and, and you know, even more explicitly saying that capitalism can work for, for the planet. I think, yeah, it's, it's true for a very particular form of, of corporation. It's a proof that these non-listed uh, corporations that are, are driven by a very strong sort of founder's logic can, can you know, question certain market logics, but, you know, they are not the dominant form of organizing today and they are not the dominant form of organization within the capitalist uh, system at, at large. They are very marginal. So in that sense, for me, it doesn't prove that capitalism can at all deal with these kinds of, of, of questions because it, it's not that there is this ongoing drive currently in society saying that, yeah, we shouldn't have any stock-listed companies or something like that, that what we really want is, is family-owned business or privately-owned business. You can say that all startups have more or less are, are being sort of trained in, in the business school, for example, that, you know, you get in venture capital and, and you do interesting stuff, but your main aim is really to, to list on, 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 the, on the stock market and then you, you pull the profit uh, from that and you go on to the to the next uh, venture in, in a sense and then leaving that kind of problems that comes with listing on the stock exchange in relation to, to these kind of problems that we are talking about, you know, to the following uh, owners knowing very well that that is the dominant form of, of organizing uh, the, the market at, at, at large. So, but again, it's, 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 we need these kinds of, of discussions and, and debates that comes, for example, from, from Patagonia or, or other B Corps because they demonstrate that, yeah, that there, there is a possibility for other forms of organizing even within the sort of corporate form. Yeah, that was indeed a difficult question to answer. But um, maybe we could uh, summarize, summarize for our listeners things that uh, could lead them to doing better CSR in a way. So how we can make it useful? Well, I would say, you know, take seriously the idea of CSR, which is to, to manage with the, the interface with stakeholders in society and be actually open to the stakeholders um, voicing uh, their their demands and, and, and trying to attend to those and, and, and so on. But that's not necessarily useful for the corporation. That, that is useful probably for society as a whole. And of course, the fact that, um, um, well, CSR has become more useful is, is really down in my, from my perspective uh, to those non-business stakeholders uh, managing to get some, some, some more bargaining power, some more leverage over corporations, partially because of new definitions of CSR, partially because of a, of, of a certain environment of pressure that, that and with social media, for example, and other things like that, that makes it possible for them to be more heard by corporations. Um, and so I think that if you believe in CSR and, and you work in, in business, uh, then what you should do is, is really to take this seriously, to take the engagement of stakeholders seriously and to, to incorporate their voices as much as possible in your corporate responsibility activities. Yeah, and then it, it's very important, as Martin was saying, to understand that CSR can be useful for, for non-corporate uh, actors because it still gives the, the, a kind of a legitimate 
platform to to have these more foundational discussions and 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 debates with you know businesses with corporations and and so forth about what their social responsibilities are and you know it, it's also hard to for me to imagine that you know if csr wasn't there then what would the, the you know the discursive arena to actually have these kind of discussions and and feeling that they are legitimate and not something that you do on your spare time when when you know when you are not working anymore then you know it might be interesting to have an ethical discussion about you know what what the corporation could do but i can't have that discussion in my role as a corporate uh, you know as, a, as an employee for the corporation which i also remember in a sense that kind of of jargon uh, back in 20 years, 30 years ago that that it was felt that you couldn't really have these kind of discussions even though you know, there was an acknowledgement from people in business that these are, are really important questions and, and I really like to engage with them as well, but I can't in, in my identity as, as, as a manager or an employee uh, engage with them or even discuss with them because there is no real sort of discursive arena for me to do. So, so now at least with CSR, there is this kind of legitimacy for people who are you know, working in business, owning business, to actually engage with these uh, questions and, and engage with people and, and, and stakeholders who have very opposing uh, views uh, to, to these questions, how they should, should be handled. So, of course, there is an, an absolute value to, to CSR as, as, as well. Yeah, but uh, what I would take uh, for myself from this discussion is... Uh, Maybe CSR is useful only when it's actually made useful. And I think we're talking about not just improvements, but the transformation that we would need in the long term. Definitely, it's not uh, just the CSR report that uh, it would take. It will be a large, uh, larger journey than that. And uh, of course, looking beyond one's company's perspective. And uh, what I heard a lot during this discussion, seeking for cross-sector partnerships and uh, looking beyond the usual stakeholders you're working with. So I would thank very much our guests for sharing their vast knowledge and insights uh, on this topic. And of course, we would thank our listeners for staying with us today for this episode. By the microphone was Anna, your host for this season. And uh, of course, we hope you stay tuned for our next episodes of Sustainability Unwrapped. Thank you. Thank you.